In its quest to provide an open forum for discussion of controversial issues, this station allows hosts and their guests to express themselves without any significant censorship. You are advised that any view expressed by the host or their guest are not necessarily the views of the owners or management of Toginet Radio, Togi Entertainment, or the Owners Group, Inc. It's time for Paying It Forward with Josephine Jirasi. Everyone has learned lessons in life during their lifetime. Some good, some bad. But from everyone, there has been something learned. And now it's time to share that knowledge. It's called Paying It Forward. Here, these lessons learned are then paid forward to you. With you, Paying It Forward too. Josephine put her professional career on hold after the birth of her first child and turned her attention to being a full-time mother. Well, three kids later, Josephine started her own company, MyMomKnowsBest.com and Glovies, but was dismayed by a lack of information that people would share to help entrepreneurs be successful. That's where Paying It Forward was born. This is Paying It Forward on Drugginet.com. And now, here's your host, Josephine Jirasi. Well, good morning, everyone. It's Josephine here. I hope everybody had a great, productive week this week. Um, I'll start my show off with the business tip of the week like I always do. So, this week was very interesting. I had decided to finally become a member of Costco, which is a wholesale almost supermarket, as many of you might know. And um, I had gone in and I had become a member and it was a little crowded. So they quickly threw me the application and I left. And um, as I was shopping around, I noticed that there were a lot of people cutting out like some major coupons, not just like 50 cent coupons, but it was like $3 off this, $3 off that. And I said, oh, wow, I wonder um, how much stuff I have in this huge basket that could um, that I could apply coupons to. So I turned to one of the workers, and his name was Jesse Burns. And I said to him, excuse me, so how do I get one of those great coupon booklets? And he said, oh, they're all the way up in the front. And he started to ask me, and he started to look in my cart. He goes, oh, no, you definitely need one of those booklets because um, – you have so much stuff that it would actually apply. So I looked at him and he looked at me and we knew that it was about a half mile to the customer service desk. And he said to me, you know what I'm going to do for you? You seem like a nice lady. I'm going to go get you the booklet. So when he came back, I said to him, I said, you know what? The owners of Costco should be very, very proud. You are an amazing employee who, um, is truly concerned about satisfying the customers. And he was like gritting from ear to ear. He's a nice young guy. And I was trying to explain to him that I do own my own business and how customer service is really the heart and soul of the business. It's so, so important to make your customers satisfied. So he then sent me an email after we had met. I guess they have my email when you fill out the application. But um, it was kind of funny to get it. And he said, I've been thinking about your radio show ever since we talked earlier today. And he said, "Um, I would love to tell you what a very successful businessman once told me. He said, learn from experience, but somebody else's experience. And I thought I was laughing and I said, he got the idea of my show. I'm so, so glad. So the idea here is we all learn from our own experiences and God knows 
everybody, all of my listeners here know how much my wonderful experiences, good and bad, have cost me because they were all learning experiences. But it's really, really wonderful and great when we have um, people that are willing to share their experiences with us so we can move forward with our businesses in a quicker manner. So that's the business tip of the week. Um, And I am just so excited to move on to the introduction of my guest today. So my guest today is actually in Bangkok as we speak, and his name is Jeremy Winterson. And Jeremy was a, a client of my brother's. I believe this is how I had gotten introduced to Jeremy. And I actually got to hook up with Jeremy when I had gone to Hong Kong for my Glovies project. And what a sweet, really wonderful businessman Jeremy was. He was really such a big, big help to me. And I was trying to think of um, what kind of a guest I could have on the show that could help other people who are introducing products and trying to manufacture and source products, especially in Asia. And the first person that came to mind was Jeremy. He is amazing, and he's so kind to give us our his time, and he got up super early for us today. So, um, <laughs> Jeremy, that's so nice of you, but I'll just give a quick background here. Jeremy, he was born in London, England. He's considered a global citizen after living in nine countries, and most recently, he's in Bangkok, Thailand. So, after graduating from the Thunderbird School of Global Management in 1998, Jeremy's com- career has been spent mostly in Asia, where he has worked for global sourcing organizations and buying offices such as Liam Fung and Dollar General. Jeremy is familiar with all aspects of global sourcing, including merchandising, quality assurance, vendor compliance, and related areas. Jeremy's hobbies include travel. Thank goodness for that, Jeremy, with the way you travel. (laughs) Photography, and he has a passion for cars and auto racing. So with that, I'd like to welcome Jeremy to Paying It Forward. Hi, Jeremy. Hello. Good morning, Josephine. How are you doing? We're doing great here. I just want to say thank you again for being a a special guest here at Paying It Forward. I just appreciate everything you've done for me and for Glovies, and I know you're going to be a wealth of information for my listeners as well. Well, thanks very much, Josephine, and that was a a wonderful introduction. (laughs) Oh, good. So, Jeremy, can you tell us a little bit more about your background and how you actually got involved with global sourcing? Well, it's a bit of a a long story. Um, You know, actually, I was born, like you said, in in England. Um, But when I was young, I moved around quite a lot with my family. Uh, My father actually was working for a a very large conglomerate. Uh, It was a a company that owned, um, I think, a couple of hundred manufacturing companies. Uh, And he was was in the financial side. So um, when you have that many companies, every year you have some companies that have some issues. So he would be sent uh, uh, into these various companies, and we would live – you know, in a new place for maybe one year, two years, and then move again. 
so when I was young, we we lived in uh, England to move to Belgium, back to England, up to Scotland, and uh, then finally moved to America. Uh, and finally, we settled in uh, Pittsburgh. Um, so that's why I have uh, more of an American accent these days. <laughs> <laughs> that's so funny, Jeremy. It must have been so exciting as a child to have traveled around the world. It was, but, you know, it, it's funny when you're young. I mean, you tend to take things for granted. Um, you know, I, I remember when before we moved to America, my, my parents sat me down and, and said, um, you know, we're moving to this new country. Uh, and I would just gotten used to my school, so I wasn't very happy and it's funny because I, I remember uh, asking, well, you know, do they speak English in America? And I said, oh, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> but, but, you know, at, at that age, it's, uh, you sort of get used to things quite uh, easily and you start to adapt. Um, so I didn't think much of it at the time, uh, to be honest with you. Yeah, that's great. I have my son. I can't believe it, Jeremy, but my oldest just turned nine and he's dying to travel Europe. And I'm like, OK, I'm ready. We just have to wait till your sister and your brother get a little older. But um, <laughs> yeah, he is anxious to do that. So I would think it would be a lot of fun. So then what happened, Jeremy? So you came to the States and um, how long were you here? Like, where did you end up going? Um, where's the Thunderbird School of Global Management? Well, I, um, we, we finally settled down in, in the U.S., and I grew up in Pittsburgh. And then I graduated from a high school there, and I went to university undergraduate at a small college near Pittsburgh called Washington and Jefferson. Oh, okay. uh, and I, I worked for a year, and then I went to Thunderbird in Arizona. Uh, okay. And Thunderbird is, is an interesting uh, school. It um, uh, specializes in international business. And it doesn't have an undergraduate um, college or university supplying um, students. Really, everybody comes from uh, all over the world. Actually, when I was there, I think half of the students were international students. Uh, and because I had a British passport, actually, I qualified as an international student. So when I came in, the first thing uh, they did was to give us an English proficiency test. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. So, uh, you know, Th Thunderbirds, uh, it, it was a fantastic place. It's... Um, uh, at that time when I was there, just going back a little bit, um, but everybody needs to study a second language. Um, so you picked a, a language from, I believe they offered French, Spanish, uh, Chinese, Japanese, uh, and Arabic back then. So actually, I, I chose uh, Japanese as my second language. Uh, and then you also study uh, uh, traditional MBA courses as well. So you get the MBA side, and then you get the, the language side put together. Oh, that's amazing. So how many languages do you speak, Jeremy? Uh, well, I, you know, I've learned over the years that my brain has room for one language, English, and then something else. <laughs> oh, <laughs> so, that's so funny. <laughs> so, I, I've, you know, I've, as I've traveled around, I've learned new languages. But as I've learned uh, a second one, the, the third one tends to get pushed out. So uh, uh, these days I can say uh, English, yeah, maybe, you know, sort of uh, fluent. And then... Uh, Thai now is my second language. Yeah, I would think so. Okay. So that sounds great. So, Jeremy, we have a minute before we have to take our break. But okay. um, so after college, where did you end up going, going after college? Like what was your next step? 
Well, I was studying Japanese, actually, and, and the intention was to go and work there. But it's difficult as a fresh graduate. I mean, you, you know, if you want to work for a, a large company, um, you know, especially in the international arena, you know, you tend to, they tend to look for people with very specific experience. And as a fresh graduate, I had uh, very little experience. Um, so just uh, almost by luck, a friend of mine found a position uh, working with an NGO in uh, uh, Thailand, and he knew of an available spot. So... I applied, not knowing uh, much about Thailand before I went, got it, and um, in a very short time just decided, okay, you know, I'll, I'll do it. Uh, it was a year-long contract uh, to work in Thailand, and, and I thought, uh, you know, I'll, I'll see how life is in Asia. Oh, I think that's great. All right, so we'll be back shortly. We'll hear more from Jeremy Winterson when we get back. Thanks, everyone. We'll be right back with more Paying It Forward with Josephine Girasi right after these on Toginet.com. Is there more living for you to do? Yes. Start living inspired. Be here for Living Inspired with Trisha Goyer. Thursday afternoons at 4, 3 p.m. Central on Toginet.com. Trisha will dig deep into topics that matter most to women, inspiring women to make a change in their own lives and to make a difference in the world, and maybe even deep within their own hearts. Trisha is a wife, mom, speaker, family expert, and author of 24 books. For more information on Trisha and Living Inspired, go to her website, TrishaGoyer.com. That's T-R-I-C-I-A-G-O-Y-E-R.com. Trisha's vision is to be the voice of hope and possibility for women of all ages. Her intention is to serve ordinary women by encouraging extraordinary things with God's help. Trisha expresses real life, real hope for real women. Is there more living for you to do? Yes. Start living inspired. Living inspired with Trisha Goyer. Thursday afternoons at 4, 3 p.m. Central on toginet.com. Booyah! That's the word uttered when you know you have the upper hand. Or you're the winner. Well, now we have the Booyah Radio Hour with Martin Brassi. Tuesdays at 9, 8 Central on Toginet.com. Martin's show is all about helping speakers and authors find their niche, create their brand, and achieve massive success. Each week, Martin will interview guests from around the world who have achieved tremendous success as speakers and authors. You'll find out who they are, what they do, and how you can follow in their footsteps to achieve incredible results. Guests will come from around the world of business, entertainment, finance, the arts, and sciences. Nothing is off topic. No subject too taboo. We'll share valuable information as well as huge laughs as we discover the ups and downs of being a successful speaker and author. The Booyah Radio Hour with Martin Pressey. Tuesdays at 9, 8 Central on Toginet.com. Welcome back to Paying It Forward, the show dedicated to helping every entrepreneur be more successful. As we discuss accomplishments, lessons learned, and sharing those ideas. Now, let's get back to Paying It Forward with Josephine Girasi on toginet.com. Well, welcome back, everyone. It's Josephine, and I have Jeremy Winterson on the phone with us on the line. And um, Jeremy is actually with us from Bangkok today. Very exciting for paying it forward because it's our first international guest. And um, Jeremy, before we went on break, you had mentioned that you had accepted a job with an NGO. Can you um, tell us what an NGO is? 
Hey, Josephine, yeah, sorry for throwing out the uh, acronyms there. No, that's okay. Uh, it's a, a non-governmental organization. It's um, similar to a, a not-for-profit. Um, so the company I was working for, or the organization I was working for, um, they had a lot of projects really helping Thai companies and, and helping the local population. Some of them were focused on education. Uh, other, ones, other ones were focused on health care. And I joined actually a group that was focused on the small business consulting. Oh, good. That sounds like a lot of fun. So, um, so exactly what did you do in that position, Jeremy? Well, we, it was actually, this was back in the late 90s, and there was a, a big financial crisis in, in Asia. Um, and Thailand was one of the countries that was affected quite badly. Um, and lots of companies, you know, Thailand had grown very strongly and suddenly had this huge economic problem. Um, and, you know, a little bit, not too dissimilar from what's happening in the U.S. Uh, last couple of years. It really hit real estate very hard. Uh, another problem was in Thailand, people took their loans out in U.S. dollars, um, and the Thai currency had collapsed. So the, the amount of money that people owed uh, to, to banks and to different people increased overnight. Uh, so a lot of companies went bankrupt in a very short time. And for a lot of people, it was the first time they really experienced any sort of bad hardship in, in 20, 25 years. Um, so this project was really um, more focused on um, smaller companies. And they had us going in really trying to help people with marketing plans, maybe financial plans, you know, all this kind of thing, really to help um, you know, the core small business owner in, in Thailand. Oh, wow. And that sounds really, really great. And I'm sure it was a great business foundation for you, huh, Jeremy? Well, yeah, it was certainly interesting. And it was my first time actually uh, working uh, outside of the U.S., uh, so it was, you know, exposure to a new country, to uh, uh, a new challenge and, uh, you know, a new culture, all this kind of thing uh, all at once. <laughs> wow. It sounds like fun. That sounds really, really exciting to me. So, yeah. all right, Jeremy. So let's take the path and go. So tell us about outsourcing. First, let's really define what's your definition of outsourcing for our listeners. Um, well, my definition would be uh, for outsourcing um, would be any process that you might do yourself or you might do um, in your own company. Uh, but instead of doing it on your own or hiring somebody to do it, um, you would actually have um, somebody do that process for you. Um, and when I say process, usually it's um, some sort of service that's performed. Um, you know, it can be, uh, you know, uh, everything, anything as simple as, uh, you know, taking care of the computers in your office. Um, but in this case, it, it uh, you know, for global sourcing, outsourcing refer refers mm -hmm. to uh, production uh, of something. Or it can mean, uh, for example, in the industry I work in, it can mean uh, having somebody take care of all of your overseas uh, activities. For example, placing orders, doing inspections, um, this, this kind of thing. Yeah, I think it's so, so important. And I just know with my whole Glovius project, as you know, Jeremy, by me outsourcing that and having the factories make my Glovius, I mean, I really was able to um, save a ton of money in having the product outsourced. But there's always a lot that goes into it. And right. um, it, there's so many challenges 
But right. um, do you have any suggestions on how does one find an outsourcing agent, let's say, like in, in anywhere in Asia? Well, uh, specifically for Asia, I mean, um, you've got quite a lot of resources available. Um, you know, online, there's quite a few websites now that tailor to uh, international trade and, and suppliers. Uh, for example, the largest one out there is called Alibaba. Um, oh, yeah which is A-L-I-B-A-B-A dot com. Um, so that's the largest one. And I, and I believe they were one of the first guys really to come onto the market. Um, and if you log into their website, you just do a search for any product and thousands of suppliers will come up all over the world, including in the U.S. I mean, you'll, you'll find a lot of domestic suppliers there as well. Um, so from there, you can... Uh, you know, narrow your criteria more and more and more, and and try to find um, you know some supply, some uh, people to uh, work with you. Um, mm -hmm. There are other websites as well, uh, such as Global Sources, um, and there are um, a lot of trade fairs out there. Um, and trade fairs can be uh, um, an interesting way of you know uh, canvassing a, an industry, you know, finding out who's out there, um, you know, who are the suppliers, who are the competitors. Um, but I would say uh, overall, you know, my strong recommendation is, uh, you know, the Internet is a wonderful thing, uh, uh -huh. and it's great to get in contact with people. Uh, but really, uh, you know, as much as possible, dealing with somebody uh, on a face-to-face -face basis, I think, is, is best, uh, especially yeah. in Asia where relationships are so important. I think you're so right about that, Jeremy. I mean, just two weeks ago, I was at the Jacob Javits Center here in Manhattan, and um, I am looking to repackage my Glovies product, as you know, and it was so important, and I feel like I got a lot out of it by walking that show and meeting the, the manufacturers that actually do the packaging. And it's funny how much you really do get on a one-on-one -on -one basis when you're meeting somebody face-to-face. -face. It's almost right. like, you know, when you're talking to somebody on the phone, that's one thing. But, you know, the eye contact and it was kind of funny, Jeremy, because I had gone with my designer who's a guy and... Mm. Um, here I was, the the woman who owned the business, who's got to fork the bill over to pay for my packaging from them. They weren't even looking at me, Jeremy. Oh, no. <laughs> they were having the full conversation with my designer who didn't know even, you know, he was extremely great and everything. But I'm just saying, mm -hmm. because he was a man and I was a woman, it still happens out there that, uh, you know, I don't mm -hmm. know. I don't want to say it's a chauvinistic world out there, but <laughs> what I'm trying to say is I just got different a different feeling from certain people there that I would prefer to do business with, you know. Well, you know, shame shame on that supplier because in, in our business, actually, the majority of buyers are, are women. So, uh, you know, odds are if they ignore women, they're ignoring the person who writes the checks. <laughs> yeah, that's what's so funny about it. But, um, but Jeremy, you bring up a good point. I know you have a lot of expertise because you deal so much with the buyers. And um, it's quite challenging from, for somebody like myself where I have um, a background in Wall Street and all of a sudden I invent this product and this is such a learning process for me, but 
I really don't know the retail business. And Mm. I know that there are a lot of moms just like me who also Mm -hmm. invented products and have Mm -hmm. the same question. Can -hmm. you tell us a little bit about the buyers? Like, what is it that the buyers really want? Um, You know, I think if you ask the buyer, you know, what what does he or she want, um, they'll tell you, I I want a great product at a fantastic price, and it's got to come in when I want it to come in. (laughs) So on the the surface, it seems maybe fairly obvious and fairly simple. uh, But if you dig a little bit deeper, it's actually, uh, um, you know, you start to unravel this uh, bit of a puzzle. Um, You know, and I would say, uh, a key thing for, for buyers is, uh, uh, you know, it depends on the product category you're working with. I mean, something like home textiles, you know, sheets and towels versus uh, furniture versus apparel. The buyers actually work in different ways. You know, some of them very fashion-driven, for example, in, in apparel. Um, mm-hmm. Some product uh, is very stable. You know, the product's in the market for many, many, many years, and it doesn't change very much. Um, but in general, you know, buyers... Um, you know, to put it quite simply, they have a certain amount of money. They purchase product. Uh, they display the product in their stores, sell as much of it as possible for a uh, full retail price. Uh, and then really a lot of their performance is judged based on how much margin uh, they bring in, meaning the difference between um, the amount that they sold and, and how much they bought it for. You know, what's, what's the difference there? Um, so when they look at a product, they're thinking – hmm, okay, Um, where is this going to fit in my product assortment? Um, What's the retail price point going to be? Okay, what's the cost that uh, she's telling me that uh, this costs? And how much margin do I I think I can make? And um, so, you know, they're running through all this analysis uh, at one time. Yeah, I think that's so important. And I know that the buyers sometimes, Jeremy, you know, it's shelf life is so important. But, Mm. you know, with me, my fear wasn't always, you know, getting on the shelf is one thing. Getting off the shelf is a totally different story. And the pressure is on the minute your product gets on that shelf because the clock is ticking. And um, that buyer wants to know that your product's getting off that shelf pretty quickly. Right. So that the turnover occurs. So, um, right, right, right. Yes. So, tell us a little more. What else can you tell us about buyers, Jeremy? So, um, mm-hmm. we know that they have a hectic, busy schedule, and it's truly yes. difficult to get in touch with them. Um, right. One thing that is coming up is um, a conference. It's actually it's more like a trade show, I guess. It's called ECRM. Are you familiar with that, Jeremy? Yes, some of my buyers have have worked uh, the ECRM shows before. Yeah, so it'll be very exciting. I'll be going to that in Florida in a couple of weeks, and I'll have Mm -hmm. meetings directly with the buyers. And um, I think it's it's a great way to kind of, you know, the buyers are so busy in their offices that no matter Mm -hmm. how many times you try to get in touch with them on the phone, I Mm -hmm. think... You know, when you're put in a setting where they're face-to-face with you and you go from one meeting to the next, you're probably mm. able to accomplish so much more in such a short period of time. So, Yeah, I think you, you touched on an important point. I mean, um, oh, sorry, I think well, we're going to Here we go. That's okay. <laughs> but we'll talk more when we get back. Thanks, Darren. Thanks, Justine. 
We'll be right back with more Paying It Forward with Josephine Jirasi right after these on toginet.com. Hello everybody, this is Pete Dix asking if you'll join me on Beatles and Beyond on this radio station. What a show I've got in store for you. Not only all the Apple reissues that I'll be looking at, some very rare tracks indeed, a report on my evening watching and listening to Neil Innes of the Ruttles and the Bonzo Dog Doodah Band. So please join me, Pete Dix, with Beatles and Beyond on this radio station. Whether you're four and a half or 100, you can retrain your brain. Learning RX, the radio show, is on toginet.com Thursday mornings at 8 a.m. Central Time with Martin Kruger. Learning RX programs are quick, they're efficient, they're life changing, and they're permanent. Unlike tutoring, cognitive skills training or brain training targets the root issue causing learning struggles. Time and money spent on chronic tutoring is a clear signal of cognitive skill deficiency. That's where Learning RX comes in. Call today, 903-617-6899. 903-617-6899. Then join us for the show here every Thursday morning at 8 a.m. And take advantage of the power it holds to improve your life. There are so many brain training issues that Learning RX can help you with. It's not a product, it's an experience. So join us for Learning RX, the radio show with Martin Kruger. Thursday mornings at 8 a.m. Central on Toginet.com. Welcome back to Paying It Forward, the show dedicated to helping every entrepreneur be more successful as we discuss accomplishments, lessons learned, and sharing those ideas. Now, let's get back to Paying It Forward with Josephine Jirasi on Toginet.com. Well, welcome back, everyone. It's Josephine here, and I'm so excited that I have Jeremy Winterson on the phone with us today. And, um, Jeremy, before we took uh, a break, we were just discussing how um, how I'm looking forward to going to the ECRM show where I will meet with a lot of buyers to introduce my Glovius product to them. And um, I know we were talking about how difficult sometimes it is to actually get direct contact with the, these buyers. Right. So. Yeah, it's a very important point. I mean, uh, uh, a lot of retailers have uh, very few buyers relative to the amount of product they have in their stores. Um, so each buyer... Uh, really has an enormous amount of suppliers they can work with um, and even an enormous amount of current suppliers. So their time is very limited to, to meet new, uh, new resources. So a show like that one, a show like ECRM or uh, maybe attending a vendor fair or finding a, another way to meet the buyer is quite important because the buyer relies on, on people like ECRM to screen out potential suppliers. Um, so you know, instead of just being a random person with a random product to a buyer, uh, in their mind, you're a little bit more important now because you've been pre-qualified as, as a good potential resource for them. Um, and getting that FaceTime in front of the buyer, having an opportunity to present your product, is, it's really invaluable. Yeah, I think that that's great. Now, Jeremy, do you have any tips on preparing for ECRM? Um, well, as uh, you know, I come from the outsourcing industry, so I'm very focused on um, order qualifiers and, and uh, you know, um, this kind of thing. I mean, I, I would say, you know, in terms of what I'm looking for in a supplier, 
um, it's not only the product. I mean, having a wonderful product and having a wonderful idea um, is great. Um, but there are other things that actually a supplier needs to, to be aware of these days, uh, especially when you're looking at sourcing overseas. I mean, things like social compliance requirements, um, you know, ob- obviously it's quite uh, uh, an issue, quite a topic, things like working hours and, and making sure the age of the workers are okay and conditions in the factory are okay. Uh, and there's actually a whole process that one needs to go through uh, and work with third-party uh, companies to ensure that working conditions are, in fact, okay. Um, so for me, from my perspective, you know, I would look for that immediately to, sit, to make sure a supplier has that experience and, uh, you know, and they know, um, you know, they're very familiar with, with social compliance requirements. Um, and, and the second thing, which is very, very important, um, is product testing. Um, you know, uh, there's been a lot of publicity uh, with, you know, health and safety issues with products. Um, you know, products coming in from China always, you know, make the press because, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're breaking or dangerous. Um, you know, and then there's uh, food products from various countries around the world. And, you know, obviously product safety is, is very important. Um, and likewise, there are uh, testing laboratories out there that you can partner with and, and work with them to uh, test your product, find out. Um, number one, is it safe to use? Uh, and then number two, is it a qu- good quality product? Um, you know, if you use it for a long time, will it stand up uh, to, to wear and tear or is it going to fall apart, uh, you know, after just a couple of uses? Um, so these kind of things uh, um, I would look for is really, uh, you know, a, a solid foundation to, you know, and a supplier, if a supplier could show to me that, okay, they've gone through social compliance, they've gone through testing, they know about these things, and I think, oh, okay, these guys actually really know what they're doing, and, you know, I feel a lot more comfortable ordering from them that uh, the product's actually going to come and it's going to be safe and I won't have any issues later. Oh, I'm so glad that you said that, Jeremy, because then that gives, you know, I'll probably bring a copy of my certificate, my SGS certificate for my Glovies, and that mm. probably gives a little bit of clout meeting oh, yeah, with the for buyers. Sure. So Especially a product like that where kids, uh, you know, kids are involved and it's something that they're using. I mean, uh, you know, product safety, uh, you know, I think is, is, is almost as important or just as important as the actual uh, – uh, product itself, the cost of the product itself. Yeah, I think you're so right. But Jeremy, when would you suggest the um, the product testing? Like, when should that be done? Well, I would say um, it should be done after you've really uh, looked, you've really finalized a supplier. Um, I mean, there, well, there's two things. I mean, um, you can separate product performance and product safety. Um, so performance would be, let's say you have a, a great new idea for a chair. Um, you know, it's, it's a fantastic new design. It's something you've never seen before. Um, and you make a, a prototype or a few prototypes. Well, there's actually specific testing requirements for, for chairs. For example, how much weight can it take, um, you know, static loading, meaning um, how much weight uh, just uh, weight placed in the chair. Uh, there's a different loading for how much weight dropped in the chair. There's a, a requirement for how much the legs uh, will flay if you put a heavy weight on there and how stable it is. So this kind of thing, I, you know, you can really test at an early stage because it's a, it's a function of the design um, and the material being used. I would say for product safety, that's at a later stage. That's really after you've finalized your supplier because uh, different suppliers will, will have different results. Um, you know, for example, uh, 
this factory could be, you know, spotless. It could be perfectly clean. It could have good, uh, good handling of raw materials. Another factory may not be so clean, and and raw materials might become contaminated. Um, so this kind of thing actually can affect uh, uh, the safety uh, requirement testing. So la- right. at a later stage, uh, at safety a later requirement stage. should be done. Yeah. Okay. All right. So. I'm so glad that you brought up those. Those are really, really important issues, Um, social compliance and product testing. Okay, so that's great. So now, Jeremy, um, let's go back a little to the buyer's decision-making process. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, the – a buyer will have, uh, uh, as I mentioned earlier, a range of product in their category. Um, and, you know, it depends on the brand and it depends on, on the retailer you're working with. But um, for some of them, they're quite focused. Uh, you know, some one buyer may handle all furniture and maybe specifically indoor furniture, for example, uh, whereas another buyer might handle a whole range of categories. It might be all decor. So it could be anything from candles to photo frames to, uh, you know, to Christmas seasonal product this kind of thing. Um, so really the buyer has uh, um, um, a certain amount of money they can spend every month, and they're really looking for the product that's going to give them the highest rate of return. All right. um, so I, you know, I would say if you can give the buyer confidence that you're a solid supplier, meaning you've got experience, um, your product is safe, um, you know, you can deliver on time, then I think it's just a matter of focusing on, uh, you know, you know, is the price good? You know, what are they looking for as far as packaging? Um, you know, I would say really make it a, as, as much as possible a two-way discussion with, with the buyer. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, I've, I found if they give you a piece of information, uh, you know, if they have an opinion and you act on it and you show it to them, they're much more likely to, to keep that relationship going. Uh, you know, for example, Josephine, if your packaging is uh, uh, blue now uh, and the right. buyer really likes, uh, you know, she offhand she mentions, oh, green, oh, green's really working well. It's really pops out on the shelf. If you come to her the next week or the next day, maybe uh, with revised packaging, I think that's really strong because it shows you're listening and you're open and you're and you're very eager. You're not just presenting your product and saying, okay, take it or leave it. Oh, absolutely, Jeremy. I have to tell you, when I had met with this huge baby retailer recently, um, they had a lot of input on my packaging. And um, I do think they were thrilled to have gotten the new package with all of their suggestions on it. And I think you're so right. I think that um, it does open that line of communication so much more. So you're right. I think a lot of times when you do sit down with the buyers, you really got to be, you have to listen and write down everything and really try to get inside of their their minds as to what they're Mm -hmm. looking for and try to satisfy that. I would say, Josephine, for your listeners, um, uh, being maybe smaller business owners, I would say as as a as a buyer or or you know in my case somebody who screens for for buyers, um, I would say probably their biggest challenge is going to be um, giving the buyer a level of confidence that um, they, if the product is ordered that it, it will arrive um, and the product will will be you know the same as what they're ordering. 
Um, so I, I think as much as possible, if, if, the, if they can fill the buyer with a level of confidence, maybe talk about experience with other retailers or, you know, maybe it's a new product, but actually they've supplied other product to, um, you know, to, to other people before. Uh, I think anything to give the buyer a level of confidence and, and that you don't have to worry about all the, the non-product stuff. I'll take care of that. Um, you know, focus on the product. Do you like it? I th- you know, I think that would be a key objective for them. Yeah, I think that's so important. And uh, Jeremy, you know, it's really kind of funny that I didn't realize was so important. You know, times are changing so much and so rapidly that Mm. everybody knows that social media is so important nowadays. And um, the problem is, as an entrepreneur, we only have so many hours in a day. We're trying to do so many different things. Um, Mm. But funny enough, you know, the buyers now are asking, they want to know that if they take your product and they put it on the shelves, how many people are following you on Twitter? How many oh. people, <laughs> can you imagine, Jeremy, how many people are, you know, following you on Facebook? How many people are you communicating with? Because they nice. want to know that, okay, we're going to put Glovies on the shelves and within, you know, one hour, how many people are going to know about it? And if you right. have thousands of followers, boom, you send out your blast. And next thing you know, you have people who have established a relationship with you and confidence in you going to the stores and buying your product. So I think right. it's quite interesting, whereas years ago, you know, that wasn't even an issue. Right. Yeah, this is a definitely a new phenomenon in the past, uh, what, five, six years, something like that, or maybe even yeah. less. But Jeremy, so many people think and they say, so do you really think social media is important? Does it do anything? So I'll just tell you an example that I was talking to somebody. Mm-hmm. I was tweeting with somebody. I didn't even really know her, but we were tweeting back and forth just a little. Next thing you know, out of nowhere, she asks me if I know a buyer in one of the big retail stores. And I said, you know, actually, I do know them or whatever. And next thing she is, she's telling me, not only does she have her own business, but she works part time with the buyer at the retail store. Oh, wow. 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 Small world. Do you see how, you know, how important the social media is if you handle it in, in the right Mm. way, you know? So it's all about Mm. establishing relationships and, um, trying to get word out about your product so oh you know i would say uh, for for um social media and and you know talking about the internet um you know having your own website i think is is quite important and and having your own domain name um you know it also gives a level of uh professionalism um you know rather than yeah. just a hotmail maybe or a gmail account something like that oh yeah i think you're so right about that but okay we're going to take a quick break and we'll be back shortly thank you everyone We'll be right back with more Paying It Forward with Josephine Jirasi right after these on Toginet.com. If you're ready for a big change in your work, your career, your happiness, your life, it's time for the Million Dollar Mindset with Marla Tabaka. Monday afternoons at 2, 1 central on Toginet.com. 
Marla believes that with the right mindset, anything is possible. Join us as successful life coach Marla Tabaka inspires you and her clients to explore, discover, and live your dreams by developing what she calls the million-dollar mindset. Marla will inspire you to take action on your dreams and reveal secrets to success that will help you realize your own unique power. Tune into the million-dollar mindset for heartwarming stories with Marla Tabaka. Learn tips and tricks to building a successful business and unlock the secrets to creating a happier, more balanced life through abundant thinking and attraction power. For more information on the Million Dollar Mindset, go to our website, MarlaTabaka.com. That's M-A-R-L-A-T-A-B-A-K-A.com. It's the Million Dollar Mindset with Marla Tabaka. Monday afternoons at 2, 1 p.m. Central on Toginet.com. You heard? The pages of American Patchwork and Quilting magazine come to life on our new weekly online radio show, American Patchwork and Quilting. Join Pat Sloan, our blogging and quilt designer host, as she talks about the latest trends, ideas, and inspirations. Her guests include quilt pattern designers, authors, quilt shop owners, and our editors. All quilters, just like you. Call in with your questions. Get quilting tips from industry experts. Learn about free patterns. Hear behind-the-scenes stories from our magazines, American Patchwork and Quilting, Quilt Sampler, and Quilts and More. Get the scoop on free stuff and find out more about the best independent quilt shops in North America. To listen to a live show, tune in Monday at 4 p.m. Eastern. Just log on to allpeoplequilt.com slash radio. To hear past shows, go to iTunes and search for American Patchwork and Quilting Radio. We hope you'll join us because we know that quilting changes everything. Welcome back to Paying It Forward, the show dedicated to helping every entrepreneur be more successful as we discuss accomplishments, lessons learned, and sharing those ideas. Now, let's get back to Paying It Forward with Josephine Girasi on toginet.com. Well, welcome back, everyone. It's Josephine here. And Jeremy, I'm kind of sad that we're on our last segment of the show today. Um, I loved having you as a guest, but we still have lots more to learn from you. But, you know, during break, it's kind of funny. I'm giggling here because I recently, I think, Two weeks ago, I had a feng shui expert on the show, and she got me all psyched to redo my office. And here you are saying that your office has been feng shuied by a master. How cool is that? Yeah, we had a, a, a cons- this was when I was in Hong Kong, we had a consultant come through. Uh, and of course, feng shui is, especially in southern China, it's the belief that the positions of objects affects energy and that if impacts your life and maybe, you know, if you're successful or not successful. So a lot of business people, especially in Hong Kong, will employ feng shui masters to come in um, and then give an assessment of their office and make changes. And, you know, for my office, I came in one morning and I had a fish uh, in one corner and I had a small statue in another corner and I thought somebody else was moving in, you know, I thought, oh, maybe, oh, maybe this isn't very good. And they said, oh no, the feng shui master has come through, you know, this is changing the energy in your room, making it quite positive. So, uh, I, I was so, happy about that. <laughs> that's so funny. But do you think it works, Jeremy? Well, I don't know. I seem to be doing okay. So uh, maybe if he hadn't been there, I would have had problems. So. Oh, that's so funny. So now, do you have a mountain behind you? Uh, no, they haven't moved any mountains for me, unfortunately. Yeah. No, it's so funny because they say that if you um, actually have a painting or a drawing or a picture of a mountain behind you, it's supposed to bring you lots of success. So uh-huh. this... This weekend, I was shopping for um, 
a nice picture of the mountain. So it's <laughs> it's very interesting, but I kind of believe that it probably does help the energy in the room and uh, helps towards success. Well, I have my fingers crossed. So I'll report back to you. How's that, Jeremy? <laughs> Sounds good. But, yeah. But all right. So now, Jeremy, my last segment of the show is usually spent talking about certain business tips that you feel you've learned throughout your career um, mm-hmm. that might be able to help some of the entrepreneurs out there. You know, a lot of times as entrepreneurs, we're doing so much stuff on our own and by ourselves that mm-hmm. I know at a lot of, you know, networking meetings that I go to, uh, you can hear so many entrepreneurs say that they're paralyzed, that they get so overwhelmed that they get paralyzed and they can't move. Do you Mm. have any suggestions on how somebody like that can, number one, maybe avoid it, or if it happens, how they can get unstuck? Um, Well, you know, I think in, in any kind of business, you know, you wind up reaching a point where, there's so many things to keep track of, and, and you know, I, I have a very poor memory. Uh, so I think any more than one or two things uh, in my mind at one time is just it's too much. Right. <laughs> so over the, over the years, um, you know, I've really developed a, a routine, um, you know, and if I'm working in the office, uh, you know, in the morning, I'll, I'll start with my coffee uh, mm-hmm. and then really try to, as quickly as possible and as early as possible, go through the issues of the day. So... Um, for me, that means a lot of emails because I get them from overseas, um, you know, go through my emails quickly. Um, and then I've developed over the years, uh, a way of listing out, um, priorities. Um, and what I do is I, I create three columns. Um, first column is a today column. Uh, and you know, I just list out sort of one by one things I really need to get done today. Uh, and if it's super hot, if it's super urgent, then I'll put a star next to it. Um, and usually I try not to get that list more longer than about five, six, seven items just because, you know, new things come up during the day and, and you know, really there's, you know, time goes by quickly. Um, second column is my to-do. Uh, this thing is, uh, you know, a long list usually of things I've thought of. You know, sometimes you get an idea that you think, oh, yeah, I really need to do this, but it's pretty low priority. So that kind of thing I'll add to the to-do list. And sometimes there's also, you know, fairly high priority stuff, things I need to get done probably this week, but not necessarily today. So all that stuff goes on the to-do list. Uh, and then the third column is pending. Um, and this is all things that need to get done, but I'm waiting for, for somebody else, or maybe I'm waiting for a date or a lawyer to get back to me or anything that's on the burner, but it's not, um, the ball's not in my court. I'm waiting for somebody else. Um, and what I do every morning, I recreate that list. Um, you know, even if, uh, not much has changed from yesterday, I'll copy the whole thing over again, one by one by one. Uh, and the reason I do this is because, you know, just the act of writing it and thinking about it briefly, sometimes it, it dawns on you, oh, actually, you know what, that's much more urgent than I thought it was. You know, I'll move it over from, uh, this column to this column, or, you know what, that person hasn't replied in a long time. I'm going to, I'm going to push that person. So this exercise of creating lists every morning has, has really helped me stay organized and then, you know, uh-huh. prioritize what I need to get done today and, and, you know, what's a little bit less urgent. That sounds great, Jeremy. And you know what? You must have such a great sense of accomplishment by the end of the day. 
Yeah, for sure. Most days, I would say. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Not no, the, thing, the thing is, as entrepreneurs, you know, the phone rings, you're in the middle of doing something, you turn around, you do something else. And a lot of right. times you just, you've done so much. I think at the end of the day, a lot of times we don't give ourselves the credit. Um right for accomplishing so much but right here when you put it in black and white you know you can see everything that you've accomplished and what i like about it is then you have a running record of more or less when you got your things accomplished if you ever had to go back and see or yeah, find and actually uh, uh to that point i also keep everything in a notebook uh and then write all my notes dated day by day under the the lists so you know if i do have to look back then it's all chronologically ordered and and i'm always writing notes uh you know that's my thing because again i have a bad memory so so if, if i have a meeting you know any kind of names any kind of dates any kind of figures uh, i definitely have to write it down <laughs> okay so then you keep your notebook and everything goes into that notebook Right, right. And converse, telephone conversations, probably the same thing, right, Jeremy? Yes, yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll at least, uh, when I start a call, I'll at least write a little note in my book preparing to take notes. But if it's more conversational, then, you know, I won't necessarily write a note every time. It'll just be if some important information comes up. Okay, so I think this sounds really, really great. So tell us about setting goals, Jeremy. Do you set a lot of goals? How often do you do that? Yeah, um, you know, uh, doing that exercise every day is a form of personal goal setting. Um, uh-huh. You know, I would say also at a company level, uh, you know, everybody I've worked for, you know, we we also set goals as well. You know, different companies approach it a different way. Some some companies uh, look longer term. Um, when I was working in Hong Kong, for example, we even had a, a three year plan. Uh, oh, wow. So we're we're planning. Uh, you know, how we're going to be, you know, how much business we're going to do, how many people we're going to be hiring. Um, and, it, you know, it seems like a lot of work when there's so many unknowns. You know, three years from now, who knows what the world's going to be like. Sure. Uh, but it, it's a good exercise in, in planning because, you, you know, when you, get, when you get down to simple decisions like how many seats am I going to have in my office, if you know you have a plan to grow by a certain amount, well, it gives you a foundation for an answer. Uh, and then at, t- at that time, maybe you can revise your answer, but at least you've thought about it before and, and you've made a plan. And then other people can, can uh, share that plan as well. Yeah, I think that's so important. You know, it's more or less forecasting as much mm-hmm. as you can. And I do remember taking those economics um, classes when I was, you know, in college. And it was like, oh, my gosh, how am I supposed to guess at this stuff? But you're right. There's always room to change. It's just get that barometer going. And um, I think you're right. So, Jeremy, I love these tips. I think they're amazing. Um, Do you have any other great tips you'd like to share with us? Um, You know, I I would say, uh, especially somebody who's an entrepreneur, I mean, um, you always get new ideas about how to do things. And you always Mm -hmm. think this could be done better or that could be done better. And I think sometimes you get to a point where you freeze up because you've got so much going on, so many things pulling you different ways. Um, You know, that's why I think it's it's really important to take quiet time every morning, even if you don't have a long list of things to do, just to gather your thoughts and set goals for today and set goals for the week. Um, And if you do have a new opportunity that comes in, try to clear your emotion and really weigh that new opportunity against what you're working on now. Um, Mm -hmm. And, you know, they they talk about in business uh, uh, a concept called sunk cost. Uh, 
Meaning, oh, yeah. you know, if, if you spend a lot of money on something and, you know, if you've invested a lot of your personal time on something, you, you feel more that you want to make it a success and because you've spent so much on it. Um, but in terms of looking at it from a business perspective, the other opportunity may make more sense today. Um, but, you know, psychologically, you may be less willing to do it because you think, well, I've put so much effort into this current project. I can't just drop it. Right. Uh, right. I feel I should, should go with that. But, you know, if you sit down and, and look at it really objectively and really take a look at what's the probability of success and what's your benefit, you might actually be better off doing something else. So it's that time of reflection that's quite important. Oh, I think you're brilliant. I think that's so smart, Jeremy, because, you know, this is something that I have been going through, you know, with myself is really a lot of times it's, okay, what am I going to focus my energy and time on? And a lot of times as entrepreneurs, you know, we come up with things that we almost become another child to us and sometimes at a certain point you just have to decide on what your sunken costs are and like you said should you should you be focusing on other things that might right. be might be more beneficial and bringing more money into into play so i think you're right. so right about that so, Jeremy, I think we have time for one more real quick business tip. What's your favorite business tip of all time? My favorite business tip of all time? I would, you know, I would say don't eat a huge lunch. Ah, <laughs> okay. I, you know, for me, I, if I eat a giant lunch, you know, I, I just feel so tired and drained and, and I can't think by mid-afternoon. So I think my, my, my last and, and maybe most important business tip is uh, don't gorge yourself at lunch. <laughs> okay. I think that's wonderful. That's a, it is very, very true. But Jeremy, I can't thank you enough for waking up so, so early um, and paying all of your business knowledge forward to my listeners here at Paying It Forward. It has been such a true pleasure. And I hope to get to see you really soon, Jeremy. Yeah, me too, Josephine. Thanks, Jeremy. Have a great you day, too. then. You too. Bye-bye. Thank you for being a part of Paying It Forward with Josephine Jirasi on Toginet.com. This show is dedicated to helping every entrepreneur be more successful. Each week we'll be discussing accomplishments, lessons